Today we are continuing in our series, Redemption Story, 66 books, 66 messages, and we arrived to the book of Deuteronomy today. Uh, we're going to consider a text that is regarded as a core truth in the Jewish tradition. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. You can also see um, the verses on the screen. If you're so able, I would invite you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your city gates. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The word Deuteronomy um, literally means second law. It is, if you will, Moses' refresher course for Israel on the Ten Commandments, which you can find in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and it is also a reminder of the Decalogue's implications for God's people, which comes after our passage for today. The word here at the start of Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 comes from the Hebrew term Shema. And the Shema places an emphasis on the covenant that God had made with his people. It was a consistent call for the Hebrew people to listen to God's word and apply it to their lives. The Shema stresses that the one true God deserves our uncompromising allegiance and our unparalleled affection. God alone is God. There is no other. And as such, we are to obey him. The word of the Lord is propositional, which simply means we don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. We need to align ourselves completely with the full counsel of God. But God's word is also personal. Christopher Wright says that a literal translation of Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 better reads as follows. Love the Lord your God with total commitment a.k.a. all your heart, with total self, a.k.a. all your soul, to total excess, with all your strength. This applies to us as individuals. Do we love God or not? No. Well, at least Fallon is honest. But if our answer is yes, 
then we must understand that love is a verb. According to the Shema, at the core of an individual's faith is a determination to conform his or her behavior in accordance with God's law. Take Jack Eckerd, for instance. Eckerd was a wealthy owner of a chain of drugstores, and he was concerned about the criminal justice system in the state of Florida. He was not a believer. And he heard Chuck Colson speak on a television show about his prison fellowship ministry. And Eckerd, again, not a believer, was drawn, however, to Colson's message. And so he invited Colson to come to his state. And on his business jet, Eckerd began to fly him from place to place to place, introducing Chuck Colson to speak about the issue of criminal justice reform in the state of Florida. Along their time together, as they would go from place to place, um, Chuck Colson took it upon himself to share his faith in Jesus Christ with Jack Eckerd. And Eckerd was at times resistant and yet also um, curious about what Chuck Colson had to say. And Colson even shared with Eckerd some of his favorite books that had been so influential in his life, one of which was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Eckerd was compelled to read these books that Chuck Colston had provided him, and before too long, he was convinced that Jesus Christ was Lord. And so Jack, Jack Eckerd gave his life to Christ. And he was walking through his drugstores as he was prone to do, and he noticed on the shelf something that he had noticed many times before. He noticed copies of magazines like Playboy and Penthouse. And so he went back to his office, he called the CEO of his drugstores, and he said, remove those magazines from their shelves immediately. And the CEO said, but Jack, we make $3 million a year off the sale of those magazines. Jack Eckert said, I do not care. Get them out of my store. And Chuck Colson, having heard this, asked Jack Eckert, if he had done that because of his newfound commitment to Jesus Christ, Eckerd responded, why else would I give away $3 million? But he did not stop there. Eckerd began to call others who were heads of drugstore chains, and he challenged them to also remove magazines like that from their stores. At first, they ignored him. But that is until more and more people began to go to Eckerd's stores because they valued and appreciated so much the stand that he had taken. It did not take long until 11,000 retail outlets across America also removed those types of magazines from their stores. It all started when one Christian could not be comfortable professing a personal love for God while ignoring God's propositional truths on his life. Here, God deserves our uncompromising allegiance and our unparalleled affection as individuals. According to Doug McIntosh, Moses brings Israel face to face with the essential core of their relationship to God. They are to love him above all else and to see that this conviction is passed on.
passed on to whom? Moses says we are to write God's law on our door frames. This most definitely applies in our homes. Um, obviously, I've done a really good job. <laughs> and I could also tell you that when I was a bivocational pastor at Deer Creek Church in Cuba, Missouri, um, Brooke and I were, um, we were doing a potluck with some other families, and we were sitting there, we were trying to eat and have a conversation with this family, and, and alas, it would not last, the conversation would not continue, because um, behind the drum set, my son, Chamblin, began to cry. And so I was afraid he had hurt himself. I rushed to see what was going on. He had not fallen down. He was not physically injured. But I noticed that he had some black stains kind of on his cheek and on his shirt. And I first didn't think anything of it because my mother-in-law had made brownies and who doesn't want a good brownie? But then as I looked more carefully, it was not brownie remnants at all. It was um, chew from the drummer's spit cup. Um, my, my son had um, rummaged through the trash can somehow and pulled that out. And Parenting 101, it's probably not ideal for the pastor's toddler to be out behind the church chewing on some tobacco. Um, now, I, I retell that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but the truth is God has entrusted our children to Brooke and me and we are supposed to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Moses charges that we impress the propositional truths of the Lord on our children. It practically means wherever I go, whatever I do, and whatever I say, wow, that's, <laughs> Jason, that's lofty, isn't it? Wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I say must reflect a spirit of godliness before my children. They are indeed watching me. They learn from me. It reminds me of a country song by Rodney Atkins that is entitled, Watching You. Some of the lyrics go like this. Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a Happy Meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. Green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. We got back home. I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard, said, Lord, please help me help my wayward self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. 
I want to be like you. Never underestimate how much our children are watching us. Never underestimate how much our children pick up on our strengths and on our weaknesses. Does my lack of gentleness impact my children's disposition? Does the way that I pray and study God's word impact the attitude that they have towards the things of God? The study notes in one of my Bibles explains it well. Hebrew parents use the context of daily life. Hebrew parents use the context of daily life to teach about God. The key to teaching your children to love God is stated plainly in verse 7. If you want your sons and daughters to follow God, you must make God a part of your everyday experiences. You must teach your children diligently to see God in all aspects of life, not just those that are church-related. We should be teaching our children about God from breakfast to bedtime. And it clearly means that the chief responsibility of teaching children about the things of God rests upon parents. It resides in our homes. I know as a father, I am tasked with training up my children in the way to go, not just dropping them off somewhere and expecting others to do it for me. In what ways can we train up our children? It could look like a short devotional to start the day. It could look like listening to Christian music as you're driving in the car together. It could look like actually carving out time to sit around the dinner table and talking about your days. It could look like, as I mentioned last week, praying God's blessing over them each night. I so much value Mother Teresa's quote, it's rendered two different ways. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Here, God deserves our uncompromising allegiance and our unparalleled affection in our homes. But Moses also says that we take the teaching of God out into our city gates. This implies how we live in the community. See, God sets aside a day. This is the biblical record. He sets aside a day in seven for us to come together for us to hear the word of God, for us to be instructed in the word of God, for us to have fellowship with one another, for us to be strengthened by each other. But the other six days are to reflect the love of God in the world around us. Maybe you will disagree with me, but I am afraid that American churches have lost sight of what discipleship really is. Discipleship is coming together as an assembly of believers to be equipped in the word of God to go home and live out Christ before our families 
and to go out in the world and live out Christ before an onlooking world. I remember a friend of mine named Micah who shared an impactful experience in his life as he was growing up. His parents took him to be a salvation bell ringer. So each Christmas season, he would go with his parents and they would ring the salvation bell. And he said that what it taught him was Christmas was not about getting gifts. Christmas was about giving. Think about how amazing it would be if every single person in the world right now who was in an assembly worshiping Christ together, who claimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, think about how amazing it would be if every single one of them would say, this week I'm going to take two hours out of my life and I'm going to serve in some way or shape or form to minister to others. What might that look like? If every professing Christian did that, our life in faith calls us to care for and connect with the community around us. How are we doing that? Never underestimate how much others are watching us. Do people notice the way that we talk about other individuals when those people are not around? Do people notice how we are helping others when we don't think anybody is looking? I especially love the imagery of Deuteronomy 6 verse 8 because it creates a vivid picture of the Holy Scripture tattooed on our hands and between our eyes. Wherever we are, whatever we do, Whatever we say, our allegiance to God and our affection for him should guide us. The likelihood that the truths of God's word will be impressed upon me, that it will be impressed upon my children, that it will be impressed upon my family, is if we are surrounded by that truth. Moses says in verse 9, paste the commandments of God over the comings and goings of our homes. That's discussion about whether that's literal or metaphorical or what have you. But I, I will say one Christmas, Brooke comes to me and says, all I really want for Christmas this year are some things to hang on the wall that have God's word written on them. And so I may have gone overboard. I don't know. I, uh, but I gave her quite a few of those for Christmas. And now in our home, we have God's word on our walls. And I think the reason why Brooke really wanted that was as our children, as they grew and as they were leaving our house, what would be impressed upon their hearts and their minds was the word of God. So that if they were tempted to veer to the right, God's word would redirect them. If they were tempted to go to the left, God's word would redirect them. That they would be centered upon God's truth. I just have to say it. I know I'm the pastor. I know that my kids really aren't paying attention right now. 
okay? But it's no one else's job to raise my children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's ours. Now, do I want the church to partner with me in that? Absolutely. And that's why we worship together. But in one day, we are to rest in the Lord. In six days, we are to do our work and we are to be out in the world as witnesses and agents for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts in our homes and it moves out into our communities. What are we doing in our homes? Are we surrounding our families with the word of God? Here, God deserves our uncompromising allegiance and our unparalleled affection in the community. Remember the scribe who came to test Jesus in Mark chapter 12? He asks Christ, what is the greatest of God's commandments? He was asking Jesus to provide his interpretation of God's revealed teaching for humanity. In verses 29 and 30 of Mark 12, I encourage you to go and look at it yourself. In Mark 12, 29 and 30, Jesus then quotes verbatim the Shema. Hear, O Lord. Hear, O Israel. Our Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength. So it is that the Shema serves as the foundation for God's people. But it's the foundation that Jesus Christ alone kept perfectly. So while Moses renewed the covenant with Israel in the second law, Deuteronomy, Jesus established a new covenant by fulfilling that law. Here, O church, our redemption story is rooted in Shema, the uncompromising allegiance and unparalleled affection for God that Christ alone shows. But here, O church, our redemption story remains rooted in Shema. Jesus Christ says in John 14, 21, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. First, don't miss that we need Jesus. But then, if you're like Jack Eckerd and you give your life to Christ, don't miss what Jesus says. The Shema is still in effect. What does it look like? It looks like propositional truths that are revealed through God. Christ is God. And if we love Christ, we're going to seek to live out those propositional truths. 
personally, in our homes, and in our community. That's the challenge that we find in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Will we submit to Christ? Will we present Christ to our children? And will we share Christ with and to the world? I pray that we will live like Christ. Pray with me. Lord, help us to know your word, to love your word, and not just the written word, but the living word. Turn our hearts, Holy Spirit, to Christ today. And as you turn us to yourself, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us as individuals to take a stand for what is right and true and good in our homes and in our world, that Christ might be glorified through us, your church. Jesus, this is our prayer in your name. Amen. The time to respond is open. The author will be open. If there is um, a need that you have, or you just need to be prayed over, a decision you need to make, um, I would ask that, that you come. Um, let's stand together as we continue worship.